You are listening to the Grace Church of Mabton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Paul, for reading our text. And I, I can't help but ask, how many of you love spreadsheets? Okay, and how many on the other hand are like, oh man, spreadsheets, I don't know. You like that somebody else loves spreadsheets? Okay, yeah. Or wouldn't know what to do with a spreadsheet if you saw one. Well, Paul read our text, and I wonder, have you ever read a passage in the Bible, and you read the passage, and then you find yourself a little shocked, and you ask yourself, wait a second, did I really just read that in the Bible? Does the Bible really say that? Have you ever had that experience before? Like, is that really in there? Okay, just me? I'm the only one who sometimes cringes when I hear certain things and passages in the Bible. There are, there are passages in the Bible that are hard to understand, some that are weird, some that are offensive, and we've seen a couple of these along the way in 1 Corinthians in this series, and we have another one of those today. In the middle of our passage today, we have a very difficult passage that a lot of us find offensive in what it says in its instructions for women. Okay, so we're going to get there and talk about that uh, here today, but remember kind of the, the big picture of the book of 1 Corinthians that we've been moving through, that this is a letter, it's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth. We've seen over and over, week after week, that this church had a lot of problems, and Paul is writing to them to correct them, even to rebuke them at times for things they've got wrong, and trying to get them back on track. So that's why we've been calling this uh, uh, extreme makeover church edition. Paul is trying to make over the church in Corinth. And in this part of the letter, chapters 12 through 14, this section of the letter that we're ending today in the end of chapter 14, but here in this part of the letter, he's been writing about spiritual gifts. So we saw back in chapter 12, he talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit gives everyone in the church, to each of us as Christians, spiritual gifts that are to be used in order to build up the church serve together to build one another up in Christ. In chapter 13, he talked about the most important gift that we all should pursue, which is the gift of love and loving one another. And then last week, we looked at the first half of chapter 14, where Paul's trying now in chapter 14, the first part, to rein in speaking in tongues, which the Corinthian church was apparently very eager to do, and it was all confusing to people. No one could understand what was going on, and so Paul was trying to rein that in. So kind of a hard text last week as well to talk about. Now in our text, the end of chapter 14, he wraps all this up by saying that when we gather as a church, this is my summary of it at least, when we gather as a church, we need to be organized. Everyone has something to offer, Paul says, There are a lot of us who get together. We all have something from God to offer. And if we all try to offer what God's given us to offer, especially in the different things God might have us say to one another, if we all try to say it all at the same time, it's going to be very confusing, very chaotic. We need a little organization. So a whole sermon on organization in the church? You betcha. Aren't you glad uh, you came today for this passage, okay? Uh, in the next passage, we get to chapter 15. Then I'll be like, oh yeah, that's, that's what the Bible says. I'll talk about Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead and, and all those things. We're getting there in the next passage. But here, 
organization in the church, the responsibility we have to serve together in a way that reflects God in his peace, in his order, in his structure. Okay, so here's our outline for today. First, we'll talk about speaking in the church in verses 26 through 33, and we'll see that we all have something to offer, Paul says, but we need to do that in an orderly way. Then second, not speaking in the church. Here's that hard passage where Paul talks about the need for silence, for not everyone to speak, that many of us need to remain silent for the sake of order in the church. And then finally, he wraps it all up in verses 36 through 40 with a reminder we should do everything in an orderly way. And that's the big point Paul is making here. So this outline, you can follow along on the screen. It's in your bulletin, too, if you want to take notes. And we'll basically, you can see from the outline, be working through these verses one by one. So if you have your Bible open, you might find that helpful, too. Okay, so our first point, speaking in the church. No one is a spectator in the church. Everyone has something to offer. So here's what Paul says in verse 26. This is the first verse of our passage. What then, brothers... When you come together, everyone has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So Paul, this is kind of his summary of what he said at length back in chapter 12. The Holy Spirit belongs to all of us if we know Christ, if we're Christians. He gives spiritual gifts to all of us. And those spiritual gifts, not all of them are about speaking, but many of them are speaking gifts. And Paul says all of us have words to use and ways to use our words to build others up. Whether it's by bringing a song to the church to sing praises together, whether it's speaking, teaching lessons, speaking God's word, interpreting God's word, or even tongues and prophesying, which is what he's been talking about in this passage we talked about last week. So Paul says when you come together as a church, Christians, everyone should be prepared to participate. Everyone should come asking and thinking about how does God want to use me today to help others in the church, to encourage others in the church, to praise God together with others. But in Corinth, apparently the problem that Paul is trying to solve here is that everyone was coming together eager to do this in Corinth But they're speaking in a way that's chaotic, like too many people speaking all at the same time with no one listening. And how does that build others up if everyone's talking and no one's listening? So he gives instructions for creating order, and he gives some boundaries to who should speak and when. So if we kind of follow through here, in verses 27 through 28, he has instructions for speaking in tongues. We already saw last week that Paul said, well, you really prefer that tongues, if you're going to speak in tongues, it's just done in private and in prayer and not in public. But here he kind of concedes, well, if you are going to have someone speaking in tongues when you get together, then limit it to just two or three people per gathering. And make sure only one person speaks at a time. And no interruptions when that person is speaking. And in verse 28, if there's no one there to interpret and make sense of what was said then whoever would speak in tongues should be silent and just pray in their hearts privately to God instead. And then in verse 29, he has similar instructions for prophets. A prophet we saw last week, it's someone who speaks God's word. 
someone who stands up and says, here is what God is saying to us as a church. And Paul says here, no more than two or three prophets should speak, and one at a time. And while they are speaking, everyone else who's listening has a role to play. You should weigh what that person is saying and consider whether it is faithful to God's word or not. Is this a true prophet or a false prophet? Are they speaking what God says in his word or are they not speaking according to what God says in his word? And in verse 30, only one should speak at a time. And in verse 31, it should be done in a way that everyone can learn and be encouraged. And in verse 32, the spirits of the prophets should be subject to the prophets. In other words, they should be in control of what they're saying. Discipline. This is not like I'm going into a trance and words are just coming out or I can't keep track of what I'm saying or I'm just rambling on and on. This is careful, clear, self-controlled speaking of God's word. And then in verse 33, Paul says, here's my reason for all these instructions, these practical things, he says. It goes back to the nature of who God is. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God likes it when things work well. When everybody kind of gets along and there's an agreed plan and there's peace and not confusion. So Paul is saying, all of us, we all have spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit. We all should be active in serving at the church. But there have to be some boundaries to that. We can't all talk at the same time. I wonder, have you ever been in a room like this where there's lots of people in a room and it's kind of an excited atmosphere and you get kind of the right personalities in there and you have lots of people talking all at the same time and you kind of look around, or at least I've, I've been in these rooms before, and I kind of look around and wonder, who's listening? And then I realize I think I might be the only person not talking in this room. And then I look around and realize there's like all these people talking and at least three or four of them are talking and looking at me like they think I am the one listening to them. And I don't know who I'm supposed to look at anymore because they're all talking and they all think I'm listening to them. And I don't think that they know I, I'm not capable of listening to all. Have you ever had this experience before? Like there's only one me and I may have two ears, but there's only one brain. And when they're all talking, I don't think I'm listening to any of you anymore. That, that, you, that gives you a little insight into me, like how awkward that, that is, how uncomfortable that is. We can't all talk at the same time but we do all have something to offer. And so Paul says, God wants to use you. He wants to use your words to encourage others. But we're gonna have to think about what that might look like. And clearly it can't mean that we have one gathering, one worship service where everyone does all the talking all the time. Some people are gonna have to be silent. Some will speak. There may be other occasions where there's a one-on-one -on -one conversation before or after where God might use your words to encourage someone. Maybe in a prayer meeting where you get to pray with someone, encourage someone in their faith, lead someone in praising God or giving thanks to God. Maybe in a Sunday school atmosphere where you teach a lesson and use your words to help someone. Maybe a phone call this week where you call someone up and encourage them. 
Maybe this is a week for you to be silent, but maybe next week is a week for you to speak. But at some point and in various ways, God's intention is to use all of us to build one another up. None of us get to just show up at church and be a spectator. We're all participants coming with something to give. So speaking is good in the church. We're all called to speak in an organized, orderly kind of way. But for that to happen, Paul's already mentioned, there has to be then people listening, and that means there has to be people who are silent, and that means there's times when it's good not to speak. And this takes us to our second point, not speaking in the church. No one gets to dominate or disrupt And so here we now come to verses 33 through 35, and now here are these challenging verses that some of us might find offensive when we read them, and they kind of come out of nowhere in this passage, like where did that come from? Okay, so here's what we read. Let me read them for you. Okay, this is is God's word, okay, not mine. Okay, we're listening to God's word here, starting the second half of verse 33. Here's what he says. As in all the churches of the saints... The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. There it is. Okay, where did this come from, and what is Paul saying? Now, if we take these couple verses at face value, it seems, and it is, very straightforward. Women don't speak in church. If you speak up, it's shameful. Your words are not good, women. So keep your mouth shut. But don't worry. When you get home, you can talk to your husbands, and they'll have all the answers for you. How chauvinistic, how demeaning, how offensive. Is that what Paul is, did he, did that, did that really, is that in the Bible? Is that really there? Well, this is one of those passages where context is very, very important. And one of the reasons why we find these couple verses so jarring is because it seems to go against everything Paul has just been saying. What, what, have we just, what have I already been saying in this sermon from chapters 12, 13, 14? The Holy Spirit gives gifts to everyone in the church, not just to men. And everyone has something to offer. And if you go back to chapter 11, if you remember one of those other really weird passages in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about head coverings with women. But in the midst of all of that, Paul said very clearly that women are praying and prophesying in the church. They're speaking, they're involved in these roles. Then we go to Paul's other letters, and we find women serving alongside Paul in different ways. He has co-workers who are women. People like Priscilla, who showed up in the book of Acts, when we're going through Acts, who in Romans 16, verse 3, Paul calls Priscilla a co-worker in Christ Jesus. She's teaching even at times. And there are other women co-workers. And so we know all of this about Paul. We see all these things he's saying. 
where he's giving and scripture gives full value to women and makes no distinction about spiritual gifts for women and so on. And so that's why it's so shocking then to have these couple verses thrown at us where Paul says, women, no speaking. So what do we make of these verses? Well, there are, and if you, if you do a little digging around on this, you'll find there are a lot of really good Bible scholars who have very different ways of interpreting and understanding what Paul is saying. So I'm going to give, for today, I'm going to give us as good an explanation as at least I have come across uh, this passage at this point. And like other hard passages, I reserve the right to change my opinion down the road. Okay, but here's what seems perhaps to make some sense of this passage. Okay, remember that over and over in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing very specific problems. So he's thinking about very particular problems in the church in Corinth and writing to those problems. And already in this passage, in the first part of this passage, verses 26 through 33, we've seen this problem that he's addressing is chaos in the church gathering. Apparently because too many people are trying to talk at the same time, and so there's all this confusion. And so Paul is giving these instructions before and after this hard part about women. He's giving instructions about order, organization, only one person speaking at a time, and so on. And already he has used the word silent, the instruction to be silent, two times before he started talking about women. Remember in verse 28, if there is no one to interpret then the person who wants to speak in tongues should remain silent. And in verse 30, if one person is speaking as a prophet, then all the other prophets should remain silent. For the sake of order, one at a time. Until your turn comes to speak, be silent. Now when we get to these verses about women, verses 33 through 35, he doesn't mention, he does not mention prophesying or speaking in tongues. But he does mention in verse 34 being in submission. And in verse 35, in verse uh, 34, he also mentions, or verse 35, he mentions asking questions to save your questions until you get home and then talk to your husband. So here's kind of a, well, I might call it an educated guess. I don't know if it's fully educated or not, but perhaps a way of putting this together that it's possible that what was happening in Corinth in the church is that women were openly asking questions in the wrong time, in the wrong way, and perhaps even in an unsubmissive kind of way. So, so they're disruptive. Someone is trying to speak, like, like in a sermon like this. One person is speaking, everyone else is at least trying to remain silent, but here are some of these women who are interrupting with their questions. Maybe disrespectful questions, challenging. I don't know that I want to hear that. How do you know this? How do you know that? There we go. Thank you, Martha. And perhaps, perhaps they were also being unsubmissive to their church leaders. And throughout scripture and in Paul's letters, the leaders of the church are called elders. In 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, other places, elders are supposed to be godly men approved by the church for leadership. And so when these elders, who would be men in the church, 
are saying to these women who are being disruptive, now's not the time for questions. The women were not listening. They continue asking their questions, continue being disruptive and challenging things. When the leaders of the church trying to create organization are saying, hey, this person's going to speak now, and then perhaps these women are saying, no, we don't want to listen to them. We want to have somebody else to speak. I'm going to speak now. Now, this is all, you know, kind of an educated guess. But if this is something like what was going on in Corinth, then we could see why Paul might say what he says here. Ladies, you need to respect the leaders of your church for the sake of peace in the church. You just need to be quiet. When you're speaking out like this, it's shameful. It's creating confusion and chaos. If you have questions or concerns, that's fine, but just wait until you get home and run it past your husband. See if you can work it out with him. And then, now I'm kind of reading into this a little bit, but then if, if you can't work it out, if the concern remains, well then maybe find a proper time and way to bring your concern to the church leaders. But not in the public assembly. Not by speaking out and being disruptive and creating chaos. And if these women were really that chaotic and unsubmissive, then Paul perhaps felt the need to make his point as strongly as he does here and to say, women, just be silent. Now, that's my best attempt to put a little context around it. Here's an illustration that maybe, maybe will help. Back when I was in high school in English class, one day, our teacher, we had a, a female teacher in this English class, and she suddenly blurted out from her desk, and this is a near quote, I'm sick and tired of hearing male voices. I don't want to hear any more male voices. If you can't talk like a girl, don't talk at all. Now, my buddies and I looked at each other like, whoa, where did that come from? How sexist can you be? Only the girls get to talk, but the boys don't get to? Well, was our teacher really that unreasonable, that unfair? Well, maybe, but she kind of had a good reason for being so frustrated and saying what she did. In that class, some of us boys did a lot of talking when we were supposed to be working. And there were a couple of boys in that class who were very disrespectful of her as a teacher. If we were supposed to be quiet and doing homework, we would be talking. If she reminded us, be quiet, some might get quiet, but some would continue as if she never said anything at all. And so this was one of those moments. We were all supposed to be being quiet and doing homework. And as it would turn out, the girls in the class, were they were just little angels. They were all doing their homework like they were supposed to. And us boys, um, not so much. And so she reached her wits end. She'd been putting up with this for many days, weeks, probably months by that point. And so what does a teacher need to do to get these boys to knock it off? She cracked the whip. Boys no longer allowed to talk. If I hear girl voices, I don't care if it's a boy or whatever. If it sounds like a girl, I'll let it slide. No boys. 
And still today, when I see some of my classmates who are in that class with me, it's one of the things we all remember vividly from our high school experience. We still laugh about it. Can you believe she told us that? Now, if you take her words literally, what she said was so strong, it was kind of ridiculous. And she didn't qualify it like just for the next hour, just the next half hour. I mean, it was a universal, no more boys talking like ever again. But realistically, we all knew the point she was making. And we all knew that we deserved it because of our behavior, because of our conduct. And so something similar seems to be going on in Corinth, but with the genders reversed. Now here in the church in Corinth, the leaders are men. And here are women who apparently being disrespectful, unsubmissive, creating chaos. And Paul's trying to say for the sake of order, there are times when everyone needs to be silent. But now especially for, for you women who can't seem to figure this out in the church in Corinth, for the sake of order, let me just say it as strongly as I can. Be silent and learn how to be silent and when, not only when to speak, but especially when not to speak. Okay, you can go read that passage yourself. You can think that through. See if, see if that kind of works or not, or if you want to be unhappy with that, that's fine. Just no disruptive challenges here at this point in time, okay? You, you can go home and talk it over at home if you, if you don't like that. Um, all right. Yeah. So then we go to our, let's go to our third point, shall we? We'll just move right on. Uh, doing everything in an orderly way. Doing everything in an orderly way, verses 36 through 40. Now Paul brings it all to a conclusion. He, at the end of this, in the very last verse, he's going to repeat his main point in verse 40. All things should be done decently and in order. But he builds to this point. He's trying to strengthen his case here. Make his final, final argument. So he asks in verse 36, did the word of God come from you? Are you the only ones the word of God has reached? Do you just get to make up your own rules in Corinth and follow your own path? Or aren't we all under submission to the Lord Jesus? In verse 37, he says, even the prophets, even those who are very spiritual people, have to recognize the commands of the Lord Jesus and submit to him. In verse 38, if anyone does not recognize the authority of Jesus, if anyone refuses to operate in an orderly way, then that person should not be recognized in the church. They shouldn't be given the opportunity to speak in the church, no matter how spiritual they sound. We're all supposed to be in submission to the Lord Jesus. And so, whether you're prophesying in verse 39, which is great when you're speaking clearly about God's word, like we saw last week, or if, okay, you're going to speak in tongues, I won't forbid it, Paul says. Well, he's made it pretty clear. It's not really the best thing for the church. But here's the big point. Verse 40, all things should be done decently and in order. Everything should be organized in the church. It's been several years ago now that um, Susie and I were part of a church, and we, we still talk about this. In fact, I was asking her her recollection of this, and it was very much like mine. 
um, that where the worship team in this church was um, was something to behold. They the, on this particular in this church on this worship team, they it was kind of noble. They wanted to give everyone the opportunity to be part of the worship team. If you wanted to be part of the worship team, then they just said yes. They didn't want to say no to anyone, anyone's desire. And so it was really good to see so many people get involved in the worship team. But then it kind of became a problem and kind of became a little chaotic. And so in the worship service, there was kind of a large stage. If you can envision this, there was a piano player playing on the grand piano, and she was a pretty good pianist, and so she was playing her heart out on this piano, like all the way up and down the keys, playing with, with everything in her. And then on the other side of the piano was this electronic organ, and there was a lady sitting at this electronic organ who had decided she needed to be heard, so she, you know, turned up volume, and she's playing her heart out on this uh, electric organ, and then there's a guy over here on an electric guitar who's just kind of playing, you know, doing this sort of thing. And then over on the other side of him was a drummer, and they had at least put like a plastic cage around him because he had no rhythm, okay? Or if he did, he wasn't bothering to pay attention to anyone else's rhythm. He was just playing and pounding away on his drum set. And then over here is a vocalist, a lady with the microphone who... Um, I mean, she is just singing with all kinds of drama as, you know, and flair, like she thinks she's in an opera or something, singing away with great passion. And behind her are like the backup singers, like five or six people sitting on stools, all with microphones singing along. And I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting a person or two as well. There are like 15 people spread across this stage, everyone playing, everyone doing their own thing. And you can imagine as somebody sitting in the congregation, it was very hard to worship together as a church when there was so much chaos going on in the worship. I could be wrong, but I suppose if the Apostle Paul were to drop into that church in that gathering, he might stand there and think to himself, thank you, Lord, that your creation functions better than this. Could you imagine if God had created creation this chaotically with things that don't work well together? And then I suppose he might invite that church to have a conversation about doing things decently and in order so that all can participate in a healthy way that builds up the church. So what does all that mean for us here as a church? Well, the big picture is it means we should all see ourselves as active participants in the church. None of us get to be spectators. We don't just show up at church to watch others do what they do. Well, we sit and watch. God has gifted all of us to serve in the church in a way that builds others up. So how will you serve? What gifts has God given you? How will you use those gifts to serve others? Not all of the gifts involve speaking, but for those that do involve speaking, then we have to ask, how would God use my words to bless others, to encourage others, to help others know God better, to lift others up? How can he use me in an orderly way in a way that's not 
disruptive, in a way that's not creating chaos, in a way that's not taking over or dominating or pushing others out, but how would he use me in a healthy way to build and to lift others up? And then also we come to the church saying, Lord, help me to listen, because others who are here, you've given them things that they offer me. And that means it can't all be just me doing all the talking. And I say that even as the pastor who does an awful lot of the talking around here. But help me to listen and to receive what you want to give me from those around me. And then, Lord willing, to do all of it decently, in order with peace and not confusion or chaos. It's a great joy to be part of the body of Christ to be able to worship together, to grow together, to serve together in Christ. All of us have something to offer. And it's a beautiful thing, a God-honoring thing, when we're all serving together in an orderly way. And may that continue to be true and be true all the more of us as a church. Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.